Today's podcast is sponsored by Discovery Plus. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know the Giro d'Italia is my favourite stage race of the year. The terrain, it's wild, the crowds are fanatical and the race is just always so unpredictable. So from the 6th of May, I'll be watching the Giro d'Italia content on Discovery Plus, which will be showing all the action live or on demand. All this coverage costs only $6.99 a month and you'll be able to catch the Tour de France, La Vuelta a España and loads more racing through your subscription. Not bad for $6.99 a month. You can go to discoveryplus.com or download the Discovery Plus app from your app store. The app is available on a wide variety of platforms and devices including Amazon, Apple, Google, Roku, LG and Samsung. Check out discoveryplus.com to get started and the link is in today's show notes. Don't forget, terms and conditions apply and a subscription is required. It's for 18-year-olds and over. And remember, like any subscription, your monthly or annual plan will auto-renew unless cancelled. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness and our longevity? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back to episode number 436. And today I am joined by the amazing Mona Vand. You're going to love this episode. Today's show notes, they're over on roadmancycling.com forward slash show notes forward slash 436. Mona Vand is somebody who followed a traditional career path. She went through high school, got great grades. She went into university, again, achieving great grades. Then she went into postgraduate education and qualified as a pharmacist. She was ticking all the box that we should tick to be a happy, successful life. But oftentimes, success exteriorly doesn't mean we're internally fulfilled. And Mona found this out on the very first day of her job as a pharmacist. So instead of doing what the temptation to do is to just suck it up and go, I've wasted six years. I have to keep on keeping on. I've lo- I've loans to pay back. I need to keep on this path. I- I'll bet a little bit unhappy. Instead of doing that, she decided to do something radical. And that very day, day number one, I shit you not, she sacked in the job and said, no, my life is due a different direction. So Mona had this passion to help people. And the pharmacy job was a vehicle to do that, but it just wasn't the right vehicle for her. So she got out of that vehicle and she built herself an amazing personal brand where she now is such a passionate advocate for wellness, clean living and self-growth. You're going to love this chat with such a genuinely nice person. Please welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast, Mona Vand. Thank you for having me. Mona, you were six years. When I listened to your story, it reminds me almost tragically of my own story. I described to some people like I spent all this time, I spent seven years in law school climbing a mountain. And then I got to the top of the mountain and I looked across and I realized I climbed the wrong mountain. Did you have a similar experience? Talk to me about pharmacy, training to be a pharmacist and that moment where you realized, "Uh oh, I'm on the wrong mountain. Yes. I mean, we just spoke for a moment off air and, you know, and when you said that, I was like, oh, this, I wonder if this is what he connected with me on because it's not many people can understand, but 
Um, I, I don't know why you went to law school. I went to pharmacy school because I didn't really know what else to do in social media. There wasn't as many creative job options available then before social media. And, you know, in Persian, my parents were like, this is a great career for women. So I just went into it with no real passion for pharmacy. But while I was there, I felt like you just said something to climb that would have really stuck out to me because reaching for a goal was what I, I was like, okay, I've got five more years, four more years, three yeah. more years. And I remember <laughs> it was this big thing. They were going to get this reward after, right. I'm going to make all this money and, you know, 120,000 a year, like, you know, which is great for 24 year olds. But I was like, that's, that was my reward. And then I graduated and, you know, took my boards, of course, like the most stressful thing ever to study for. And then it was literally day one, my first day of training, I was in Venice beach and I just had such a horrible day. And I was like, oh my God, I have all these student loans. All my money goes towards that. I have no more summer vacation. I basically have like one week off for the next few years. And this is my life. And I was like, I'm so stuck. It was like the most terrifying feeling. But did you feel like, and I, I know for me, uh, and it exactly was why I connected. I came across your blog and I read the about section and it was literally talked about. And I was like, Oh, you could delete the word Mona and insert the word Anthony Delete for a lawyer. And I was yep. like, we're on the same path. But for me, it was almost our, our school system is slightly different to yours, but it's basically the same premise. You know, at each uh, junction point, whether it's the end of high school or uh, the end of undergraduate degree, I feel like if you're quite good academically, you get funneled in a very specific direction. Like by that, I mean, you know, after I'd finished uh, high school and had a good, we call it leaving certificate and gone through my undergrad, no, the options are sort of narrowed down into like something medical or law. Like nobody at that point was grabbing me and saying, you know what, you'd be a really good bricklayer. You know, your yeah. future, your future's in plastering, you know, and these are professions I maybe would have been a lot happier in, but mm -hmm. because my, you know, academic track record to that point was quite decent, it just really narrowed the options for me. I feel like when I was in high school, it was like doctor, lawyer, teacher, like there wasn't really that much else dentist. Like, you know, there were all these career options and I almost feel like the ones that were not what you were just saying, like not educational and not like it was almost like, oh, if you weren't good enough, you did those, which is such an incorrect way to look at it because you could, you know, you could be so much happier doing something you like, but I totally agree. It, there weren't many paths to take. But on all of those, I remember my call to the bar where you have like a former chief justice and he welcomes everybody new to the bar, but he was talking about all these, you know, professions you just called and that's what they are professions. But mm -hmm. if you trace back the origin of the word profession, it means service without remuneration. So it's service for the greater good without chasing remuneration. So you're trying to add value to society rather than chasing monetary. I was like, I wish someone had to tell me that at the start. <laughs> Wait, that's that's so insightful. I love that. Yeah, no, I didn't I love know. That. I feel like most people don't know that one as well. No, I mean, I, I really feel like the younger, I mean, I'm millennial. So, you know, I was in the border. It's almost like new opportunities started coming, like, or I guess after I graduated college, but for Gen Z, it's so great that now they're just encouraged to do what they like and what makes them happy and follow their passion. Because when I was younger, I mean, my parents were very old school, kind of like immigrant culture where it's like, no, following your passion, that's like, that's for losers. Like you're not going to make any money. You have to do this and you have to make sure you're successful. Making money is the most important thing. Like that's, that's what I was taught. 
the model's completely changed. I met a guy for coffee last week and he's just coming out of college and I was talking to him about careers and stuff. And it's like the more specialized, like you could literally make an amazing career now out of split testing YouTube thumbnails. And like that could be a legitimate, good paying career. And wow, on TubeBuddy? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can spend your days flip testing those. Whereas, yeah. like my generation, it's we're probably roughly the same vintage. It was like marketing, it was these broad jobs, like business management. Like, what does that do? And only exactly. And like only a select few would actually be like, make it in that where, you know, actually be successful if you, if you, you know, majored in something like communications, where it's actually a really great skill to learn that, to be able to communicate properly can actually really help you in life. But I guess at that point in life, there weren't jobs taking a communications degree or taking like, you know, something a little more broad. I still think college, it's the pendulum swings. And I think the pendulum swing in the way towards a little bit too much hate for traditional academia and a, a bit too much like oh yeah i'll go and do a upscale course and you know that's the same as you know going on a seven-year medical degree like, right I, I think when you're doing these courses like i have a friend of mine and it took him like nine years to do his history phd and <laughs> which is hilarious because the period he studied was only seven years long so he could have lived through this period oh my god wow <laughs> But if you, I, you know, if you call me ahead. like tomorrow and you're like, hey, I need somebody who can like completely focus on one single job for nine years without distraction, I'd be like, oh my God, I have just the man you need. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so talk to me about the golden handcuffs culture of US education, because we don't really have this. So when you come through school, you're in shocking debt at the end of it. Yeah. It's actually so funny because I, I grew up, um, like my parents did a lot for me. I mean, I, my, my parents were divorced, but my mom did a lot for me. I didn't have to, um, I, I didn't really understand anything about managing money or like just, I guess, real life skills. So when I went to college and took out student loans, I don't even know how I, I just didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't even know like that when I graduated, I was going to have all these loans. I think I knew, obviously I, you know, understood, but I didn't really grasp the concept. So you go and you're like, you know, you're encouraged to go pursue these higher degrees in higher education. And then you graduate. And I was literally like close to $200,000 in student debt. And so I remember like thinking, I'm going to get this reward where I'm making like, you know, a good $120,000 salary a year. And then it was like, the debt just never goes down. And I remember my first couple of years, I was like, I'm going to pay off as much as I can every month and so that I pay it off faster so that I don't keep accruing more interest. But it was like, I was living like a, almost like more broke than I was in college. Like, you know, all my money was going towards my loans. Like I was paycheck to paycheck. And it was like, you're stuck in this jail. It's honestly so scary. And it's like a little manipulative for kids that don't know what's going on. And even adding the word student before loan makes it seem like it's somehow more worthwhile. Like if I went right. to, to get a $200,000 loan to start my business, people would be like, oh, that's risky. But so true. It's somehow not risky when you put the word student in front of it. Because it's like, it's like almost like you're more appreciated, more respected in society, I guess. I mean, I'm glad this is changing because it's, it's just really crappy. I mean, I, I, Sometimes just like, I mean, all the time, think back to like the moment I made the decision to just go for it. I'm like, 
thank God if I didn't, and I was still working at the pharmacy, I, I just, I cringe at it. Like I literally get PTSD walking into a pharmacy now. Yeah, like imagine going to the bank and looking for like a $200,000 loan to buy like NFTs. They'd look at you like you're trying to buy heroin. They look at you like you're looking for a drug dealer startup loan. And at least mine was like a degree where I'm guaranteed to make money. Like at least I'm guaranteed. Whereas others, imagine paying that much for a private school for just like, you know, a general like sociology degree or something where like you don't even know what job you're going to get after that. But what I love, and it's a it's a philosophy I try and run through my day, and I'm sure everyone listening to the podcast, you included, Mona, has had days where you're like, okay, I'm going to have this super productive day, and then it's like four o'clock, and you're like, okay, this day hasn't panned out how I thought it was going to pan out at all. It's been a complete disaster. I've ended up flicking on TikTok for two hours. Mm-hmm. But there's a brilliant Stoic philosophy of start over. So it's like, just because your day has been junk up to 4 p.m. doesn't mean that from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. can't be the greatest evening you've ever had in your life. So I try and take this philosophy of start over and I run it through, even if I'm in the gym and the first 40 minutes of a session is junk, I'm like, okay, well, the next 40 minutes could be my greatest ever 40 minutes in the gym. So let's like switch it on. I feel like you've done that with your career where you're like, okay, this isn't where I wanted to go. Start over. First of all, I love stoicism and I learned about it way too late in life, almost on like the last two years. And God, I couldn't recommend it enough to anybody. It just like helps you like navigate life in such a happier way. I even had that moment this morning. I was like doing my meditation. I woke up at 545 and the first 15 minutes, it's like a walking meditation I do. And my treadmill wasn't working. And I was like, oh, this whole meditation's ruined. That was the first thought that came to me. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to enjoy the last. It, it actually yeah. ended up being incredible. So I totally understand that concept. Um, yeah, you know, what's interesting with me is my degree actually did end up benefiting me because I use a lot of it. I mean, I'm still in the health and wellness world. So that was what I studied. So I was lucky in that way. I had a lot of mentors in LA, like just different friends I made and when I was first trying to figure out like, what am I going to do? I remember one of my friends saying, well, do something like you, this is what you learned, like take advantage. Don't throw out this great achievement you had. You know, I think what you were just saying, like, it's not like college and higher education is such a bad thing. Like if you, you know, it is, it, if you did it and you put all that work in, like respect it. So I really tried to think like, how can I do something where I'm still, you know, taking advantage of my degree? Now, if I didn't have like a huge passion for health and wellness, I wouldn't have, but it, luckily that was aligned. So it seems like you had this idea, maybe it's, this is me projecting, you had this idea through going into pharmacy that you wanted, the outcome of most pharmaceutical interventions is, if we take quite a pure motivation of it, is helping people. Yes. And you kept that common thread through your life that you said, okay, I still want to help people, but this maybe just isn't the vehicle that I want to help people through. Yeah. You know, the thing I didn't like about working at a pharmacy was number one, I didn't feel like I was ever really using my knowledge and skills that I learned. You know, a lot of times it's a very robotic job in a lot of situations. And um, I didn't even get to talk to patients. My favorite thing was when a patient would ask me for counseling and I'd have to go out onto the floor. Like literally if they were like, oh, I've got a runny nose, I've got this. And, you know, I got to like do my thing and help them figure out what to take. Um, and then there was moments where I felt like the oath we took as pharmacists, like to help people and to always make sure, you know, we were doing whatever was in the best interest for them. These poor pharmacists are so busy. They don't even have time to really sit and talk to patients a lot of the time. I always share this one story of this like 70 something year old man, maybe even eighties. He was, he was older. 
and he comes in with a new prescription for Adderall. And I just like, I was like, that's interesting because usually ADHD or ADD, it's not something you develop in like your eighties. Yeah. So I asked him, oh, we always, the one thing they teach us always ask, what did your doctor prescribe this for? Because sometimes things are off label. And if you tell someone like, oh, this is meant for blood pressure. And they're like, oh my God, I'm taking it for this. And they, you know, they get scared. So I said to him, what did your doctor tell you this is for? And he said, oh, I just told him I've been tired lately. So he was giving me this for energy. It's crazy. And, and I was like, what? So I, I actually ended up telling him, I was like, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend this. And I think it was just moments like that where I was like, I don't feel good and fulfilled doing this every day. And of course, everyone has a different story. And I don't think it's always like that. But I just found myself in a lot of situations like that where I couldn't really do what I wanted to do. But hasn't the pharmaceutical industry gone a strange direction? Like when we were kids, the iconic movie, something about Mary, like the line in about seven minute abs, like that was a punchline of a joke back then. But that's literally where the pharmaceutical industry has gone to seven minute abs. Take this one pill and it can replace or eradicate years of poor eating. Take this one injection and it can paper over, you know, what should be a 24 7, 365 healthy lifestyle. But yep. now you take this injection and you don't need it. It's we're in a culture of quick fixes. And it's interesting that you stepped away from the quick fix culture and you realize that it's more about the power of compounding small positive changes daily over long periods of time. Yeah. I mean, we took disease state, disease state management was one of the hardest courses in pharmacy school. And you, know, you learn everything and how to treat it and diagnose it. And the first step for literally any disease state was lifestyle modifications and diet. So that's what you're taught to teach people, but just in general practice, you know, that's not, people are just given a pill. I mean, I would see people who were like, you know, severely overweight with diabetes medication, buying chips and cookies and what, you know, things that like diabetics shouldn't be eating. So they're not really counseled in the right way. It's like, just take this pill and you're fine. Is it a lack of knowledge? I think it's a lack of knowledge. Yeah. Because actually one of my best friends, her dad was recently diagnosed with diabetes and he's actually really like, it's interesting. I don't know if it was genetic or what happened, but she, um, she's like me, we're both very into health and wellness. And so she's teaching him all these things like, oh, you can use monk fruit and here's like buy a peanut butter that's not sweetened. And he wasn't told any of this. He literally had no idea like what, you know what I mean? He knew he should lower his sugar, but not, not really educated on like different foods he could do or different. And she helped him. Like, I, I don't even think he needs to be on medication in a couple months. She helped him just by diet. It was my and biggest frustration over the last two years. I felt like we missed globally to put health and wellness at the very front of a world agenda. And, you know, instead of talking about, you know, just really desperate situations all day long on the news to put to the front of the news stuff that's worked like time memorial, like sleeping eight hours a day, like movements, like hydration, like basic eating principles. I'm not sure if you get those CNN, like 15 second health tips uh, over there. Like they are the, literally the worst health tips you've ever seen in your life. Like it's give me one. I love these. I love like Healthline or like these just basic, like, eat whole grains. And yeah. It's that type. It, it, it's stuff like, <laughs> like you see seen on an infomercial in like 1992. Yes. And you're like, how is this still what they're putting out to the mainstream? And the thing is people like you and I, who are really into wellness and well-versed in it, we look at it and laugh, but like a lot of people don't know who aren't, you know, it's like, 
you could ask me, I just said to you earlier, don't ask me anything about technology. Like I don't, you know, like I'm, it's foreign to me. That's how a lot of people are with health. It's not their background. So they, that's what they hear. And that's what, that's all they know. Yeah. I, I have friends who literally will eat fish and chips and think that's healthy because they're like, well, potatoes are healthy. That's chips. Fish is healthy because it's fish. And I was like, well, it is cooked pretty heavily in like saturated <laughs> oil. Fat. Yeah. yeah. Right. I know. It's actually one thing I always tell people, we just, you know, the potato to chips. I always like, cause I'm just very big on clean eating. I'm not one to be like, you have to eat this way or this way. If it's clean and simple and basic, I think it's great. Um, I'm like, if go to the basics, like instead of a potato chip, just eat the potato, you know, instead of like, don't eat what it's like processed and made into just eat what the original food is. It's such great, simple advice. I say this mm -hmm. to clients and listeners all the time, eat one ingredient foods. And they're like, yes. how, how do you mean? I'm like, well, an apple has one ingredient. Uh, <laughs> good, a good fella's pizza does not have one ingredient. I know. And I always like, it's funny. I don't, I don't love dairy. I'm not an advocate for dairy, but if you, if you're going to go get like an organic milk from a farm, that's better for you than getting like a cheese cracker. Cause I'm like, when you think about all the things that that dairy has gone through to get into that cheese cracker, that's like sitting on a shelf forever. And do you think they're paying attention to the hormones or antibiotics that the cow's getting? And there's so much energy and time and processing that just goes into that little cracker. I'm like, at least try to just eat the purest form of it. I had a really interesting guest on the podcast last week. Uh, he's worth checking out. His name is Paul Shapiro, and he has a company that he founded called Better Meat Co. So they try to, well, they don't try, they are, but I think it's only legal in Singapore at the moment. Don't ask me why. They must have a loose hmm. regulatory environment. And Singapore they, has like the strictest laws. So that's interesting. <laughs> really? On. Yeah. So yeah. They've, they've cultivated meat. So the vitamin, mineral, macronutrient composition of the meat is identical to normal meat, but it's lab grown. So you can have literally have a filet mignon that's come from a test tube. So meaning you're, if you don't want to eat meat, you can have it in pill form. They're, it's not a, saying? it's not a pill. It's actually like a, looks like kind of like a tofu steak. So, oh. if you, but there's no animals in the production of this. I see. So it's identical composition, but they also have the ability to manipulate the composition of it. So if you want to have a single chicken fillet, but have that single chicken fillet contain your entire recommended daily allowance of protein, they can manipulate the composition that it's a, you know, 200 gram protein chicken fillet. That sounds like the future. That's, you know, I don't like messing with nature, but I know that that it's, it's interesting. Like that's just like straight cloning. So that's, that's something I'm a little bit intrigued by versus like, you know, GMO where you're like genetically modifying something to make it different. That's, I'm going to have to look into that. It's a little bit scary though. I've, mm -hmm. there's, there's some things I look at, like I look at Boston dynamics. Is it the robot company? And I look at them and I go, well, that's how I'm going to die. One of these robots are going to kick down my door and that's how I die. And when I, <laughs> when I look at this meat as well, I look like, oh, this is, it feels like something out of minority report. Well, the thing is, I mean, you know, humans are going to live forever at some point pretty soon. They're close. So I'm wondering if that's, that's where the future is going. I don't, it doesn't sound like that's going to be something in our immediate life. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're going to be eating like, food manufactured like that. So. Mona, talk to me about what's your mission now. So you've had that total change of focus. You had the epiphany of this isn't what I want to do, but I still want to help people. What was that journey like of rebranding yourself? And now what is the mission at the moment? So my my thought, I guess what I realized when I was, I actually did work as a pharmacist for eight years um, in different, different job settings and 
what I realized was number one, I want to constantly work for something. I think that if I'm not building something or working towards something, I'm going to get bored because I didn't like that. I went in and clocked in and clocked out and that was it. It didn't feel fulfilling. And then I also was like, I, I'm more creative than I realized. I wanted to have the option to do different things. I think humans feel like you have to stay in one lane. And it's like, you know, even if it's like a, a doctor is posting fashion content, you're like, you're a doctor. Why are you posting that? Like you're a human being. So I remember thinking like, maybe I'll write a book. Maybe I'll have a show. Maybe I'll have a product. But my whole goal was like, let me just leverage myself so that I have a following and I build a community and it gives me kind of that stepping stone to do whatever I want to do. So that that's always been my main objective. And I love keeping it open for whatever the future could hold. Um, I often think when you look at, uh, there's a great book, I think Matthew Saeed was the author and the book title is called Bounce. And he pioneered this idea that we need 10,000 hours to become world-class at something. So mm-hmm. when you see Tiger Woods hitting, you know, his comeback in the Masters a few weeks ago, you see him hitting the perfect drive 300 yards down the fairway if you look at that it looks like a miracle but you don't see the hundreds of thousands of hours of practice behind that yep. like michelangelo reportedly said when uh, he brought in the patreons to show them the sistine chapel they said it's a miracle and he said well you wouldn't think it was a miracle if you seen how much work went into it an so, overnight success that was has been working for 10 years so your personal brand looks absolutely flawless and huge at the moment and you know me at a much much earlier stage in the evolution i look at that and i'm like oh my god like how do you get there what's the early stages of that like the grunt work that gets done oh if you would have seen when i first started social media was just like new instagram so i didn't even wasn't even considering it i was like i'm gonna build this website and it's gonna be like i was trying to build like a web md but for me and like which was ridiculous so first i started building that then that obviously I remember launching it and being like, all right, I've launched and like nothing happened. <laughs> like, like the world was going to like discover my website. Um, and then after that, I was like, okay, it's got to be Instagram. And if you scroll like wait, I mean, it take a long time. I had fruit memes. So it was like blueberries. <laughs> I, I, I got to follow you scroll after this. Oh, it was like exactly what we were talking about on CNN. It was like straight up like infomercial. Maybe memes. that's where they're getting their content. Maybe yeah, they're scrolling you know back what? on your Instagram. <laughs> I, I, they better charge me or I better charge them for that. Um, so that's what it started at. And then it just kept evolving. And I think sometimes it's actually fun to just leave all your content and look back and see how you've grown. Um, I actually just posted something that's on social media the other day where I was like, don't get mad at influencers for changing their content. Cause we all evolve. Like, you know, at one point everything was like all just facts. And then it was like all really perfect. Now I'm just liking to share more real life stuff. So everyone changes and evolves. And I think people like following your story. For sure. The evolution of this podcast, even we're on episode 420 something. Now, if you go back and listen to episode one, two, I recorded them on like, you know, the full microphone studio setup. Now I recorded them like on the headphones of my iPhone, the audio quality was terrible. Dogs barking in the background. No one was editing it. It was I remember like an episode 100, somebody wrote a message in going, I love the podcast, but can you stop drinking water during it? Because you're slurping into the microphone. No way. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Have you looked much on something I'm obsessed with and I'm constantly reading on it is the Blue Zones. Do you know what they are? Have you looked much into that? Yes, I'm very into Blue Zones. Because I noticed one of the things you mentioned, uh, and I'm not sure some part of your content I've seen is the role of family and social circles. And that's so entwined in blue zones because this is something i really struggle with i kind of you know even today i had my uh, i'm a bit of a slave to the calendar and i like to have everything planned out but 
some days I feel like my what I have planned out is almost just too ambitious. And so it manifests itself in one of two ways that I get through all my stuff flawlessly. And then at the end of the day, I'm like exhausted. I have a bit of satisfaction and going, I got through everything flawlessly, but it's literally just rattling through a to-do list. And then other days I just crack and I don't get through everything. I'm like, oh my God, I need a break. I can't keep doing this. And then I feel guilty. Right. Like, what are the strategies for kind of moving away from that and having that structured present time with family and friends? You know, I think it's, I think there's a balance to it, which I know sometimes that word's annoying. It's like, what does that mean? But I, I was like that for the first like five years where I felt like I was so rigid, but I was also at a really different stage in life where I, you know, I was single, I was like living in LA and I, I, I was so focused and determined. It was all I cared about. Like all I wanted was, cause I, I was like, I just want to do something I love. So I did it all day, every day, weekends. I liked it, but it didn't necessarily feel like burnout because it, it was almost like what I wanted to do. But I noticed when I moved to New York, you know, I'm in a relationship and I was here and I had to like, I had to build a new team because I moved from LA to New York and it started feeling like burnout where it was like, I've got to get this many TikToks up, this much Instagram up, these many, like these YouTube videos. And I just felt like it was this like rat race. And I don't know if you saw, but I took like pretty much an entire year off social media last year. Oh, I didn't which know is, that, no. Oh yeah. It's crazy because that's my whole career. And it was scary to do that, but I felt like I was in this rat race of it and I was just at a different point in life. So now when I've come back, I feel so different and so inspired and so refreshed. And it's really a goal of mine to be balanced. And if I, like, I make sure that I have time with, you know, like in my relationships with my friends, like making sure I have that balance. But, you know, I think there's something to say with like, when you're building, you do have to put in hours because sometimes I think, we've gone a little in the other direction where everyone's just like, you know, I don't want to work too hard. I have to make sure I, I don't overexhaust myself, but you do have to work hard to get, if you want something, if you want the outcome. So I think you have to just decide how much work you want to put in and what's more important. Like right now, it's more important to me to have time to myself. Like I would actually rather be a little less successful and just do it the way that makes me happy. Whereas back then I didn't have as much going on. So I was like, that's what I wanted to do. So I think you would just see what, you know, what matches your current life and be honest with your goals. If you're like, no, this is what I want more than anything. I care about this more than like being social right now for a couple of years. Maybe you do just have to go in hard. Yeah. I'm trying to take kind of, again, back to the stoic approach to it, where I'm looking at it like seasons to life. You know, there's a, Mm -hmm. there's a season where we plant the crops and we work real hard. There's a season where we harvest, but then there's also this chill parts of the season. And -hmm. I feel like as a creator as well, that's important because I need to go inwards to decide what the next direction is to come up with the inspiration to make, you know, quiet space in my life for quiet contemplation and reflection and see what the next direction is to avoid that busy for the sake of busy and then to come back out and execute on that, you know, more reflective quiet period. I also, I, I couldn't agree more because when I was so busy before I, it didn't bother me. I think because I was in it then I was really, that's, that's what I wanted to do. So it's almost like you don't have burnout if you like love it and that's what you want to do. But it, I felt burnout when I was here. Cause it just wasn't true to what I wasn't listening to myself on the inside. And I think, I mean, I don't know if you meditate, but I mean, yeah. even, even spiritually, that's just, it's so true where you have to kind of just, I guess trying too hard won't pull things to you. There's almost this very fine line of like surrendering and, and putting an effort. 
you know, and sometimes things will come more to come to you just a little more naturally if you aren't trying so hard for this thing that you want so much. Well, it was one of the main reasons I left law when I stepped back and I looked at how many available hours I had each week, like active waking hours. And then I looked at what was important to me and I kind of used my values as my North Star. So I had my values were like family and friends, uh, self-development or self-mastery, financial relationship, spirituality. So I had those sort of five areas and I looked at the distribution of my time across those five areas and say I have 80 awake hours each week. And I looked at them in law and I'm like 55, 60 hours just on financial. It doesn't leave a lot of space for family, spirituality, self-progress. So it's like, this makes no sense. It's a totally broken, flawed system for my value system. That's not to say it's broken for everybody. Of course. I know. I actually, I like to always say that because there's been a few times where I've talked about pharmacy, where I've had some pharmacists like take offense. And they were like, you know, like, I love, I love doing it. I love this career. And I always want to make sure I say like, it's, it's what works for you. And it's, you know, it's not the same for everyone. I also think that when you do something you love, there's such a different energy towards it, you know, because like if you're working in finance, unless you're very passionate about numbers and math, like that's not filling your bucket. You're not being creative. So it's a little more draining. It's almost like you're just doing this thing that you have to do. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Cause when I look at stuff that has drained me through the years, if you, if we talked, you know, afterwards and you're like, Oh, would you look through some legal contracts for me? I'd be like, Oh, okay, fine. But I'd be 20 minutes into reading those legal contracts and I'd be distracted. I'd be drained. And when I, when I stepped back and I looked at, okay, what would I do every day if I didn't get paid for it? What do I just love doing? I was like, well, I love storytelling. I love conversations. And now, so how can I engineer that? I have conversations and inspiring conversations with amazing people around the world. And I was like, okay, it's, it's podcast. And yeah, I don't feel drained. Like we've a narrow schedule for this, but we could have scheduled five and I would still finish the five hour chat and I'd be like, I'm fresh. I'm ready to go again. Yeah. I mean, well, you have, you know, you have a natural energy when you're speaking. So I think it's for you, it's just a meaningful conversation. You're not just doing it to like, you know, cause you could also, someone could do podcasting because they want to be successful and be like, I have to get all these questions in the list. I have to make sure I, and that's not going to really fill your bucket either. This, this won't drain you. And I had James Nestor, who, if you haven't read his book, it's brilliant. Uh, Brett, uh, he was on the podcast uh, a couple of days ago, and he's, he's an amazing guy. I heard him actually on Joe Rogan's podcast and reached out to him and had an amazing chat with him. But I was talking to him after the podcast, and he was like, thank you for preparing for the chat. And I was like, what? And he's like, so many people that do podcasts don't like doing podcasts, it seems, and they don't do any preparation. So it's totally uninspiring to even talk to them. And it just got yeah. me reflecting about life that we're in this uh, game of depth, like how many Instagram followers do we have? How many TikTok impressions do we get? Sorry, in this game of wit, but depth is a very important metric. Like how deep can we go with one-on-one interactions? You know, Because it only takes a, a, the right message to touch the right person at the right time to completely change the direction of their life. I was just uh, like listening to an audiobook. I don't know if you know Carolyn Miss or Mice. I think I'm pronouncing her name. No, I'm going to check it out though. She's very spiritual. Um, she's been around for a while. I mean, this is my her first book I'm reading, but she was saying like, we don't know the difference we make in like, we think it has to be like on such a big scale. I have to have like, you know, millions of people listening to me and I have to be, I have to be on television or have this big global difference. She's like, your kindness to one person is what's making a spiritual difference in this world. Like we, we have this illusion that like the only way to make a difference is if it's on this big scale, whereas depth is so much more meaningful in the world. 
I absolutely couldn't agree more. Uh, Mona, I just want to finish up with one because I want to respect your time. I want to finish up with mm-hmm. one last question. And sure. it's just around vision. So when you were moving out of the pharmacy and you were picturing this new life that you wanted, are you big into vision boards, manifestations? How did you create the reality that you've stepped into? I was not at all spiritual then. I think like innately, I didn't realize it. Um, so I wasn't doing vision boards, manifestations, but I guess without me knowing the steps, I just couldn't stop thinking about it all the time. And there was just something in me that was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm going to do. It was like a switch that went off where I remember I even got like emotional when I figured it out. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I've <laughs> never, I've never had this feeling of like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I think just that drive, it was almost like once it was turned on, I mean, I was Friday nights, like my friends were like, let's go out. And like, I wanted to sit at home and I was like working on writing articles or like planning out my next shoot. And I just, I loved it. So I think I was just laser, laser focused, like my soul, my mind, everything. So for somebody who's um, Mona, how long ago did you start your brand? I started this, God, when was it? 2013. So it's been a long time, but I mean, really on Instagram, it was like three years later. Like when I actually started, there's a lot of ups and downs. So 2013. If you could go back to the 2013 version of Mona and whisper some advice apart from buy Bitcoin in her ear, what would you say? (laughs) Um, I would say be your authentic self. Um, I think that's something I didn't do enough. I was a little bit performative in the beginning. I had thought I had to be perfect and say the right thing and be so professional. Um, I would say to be myself, um, to just not worry about judgment. Cause I think that stopped me from a lot of really good content I could have put out. I was always like over judging everything I did and, you know, making sure that like, I didn't look bad in this one shot or this was perfect. So I think that would have also really helped probably those two things. I think we definitely with the benefit of hindsight, when you look at it, you're like, who was I trying to impress? Like, what was that? Was it a societal standard you're trying to live up to? And again, we've gone full circle to finish the podcast because I feel like that's the expression of maybe the education system that both me and you came through, that there's certain professional expectations or standards. And then when you move out to developing a brand, you really try not to deviate too much from that because you feel maybe that institutional judgment from your own college or your own peers? I think culturally, I mean, I love my culture more than anything, but it's very much of like what people think of you put on a good face, make sure you look good all the time. Um, and I also think that at that point in entertainment, cause you know, at first it was almost like I was learning to be a host cause we, we didn't have social media. Um, it was very like performative and like, what's your brand and make sure you always have your best foot forward. I'm so happy the way culture's going and the way social media has gone where it's like TikTok, It's just amazing. No, if you look at these Gen Z kids, like their room's messy, they're not doing like, they haven't done their hair. Like they're showing their acne. I'm like, this is so incredible. Cause it's just showing people that it's okay to be yourself. And it's even taught millennials. It's always like a, almost like a meme, because if you look at like a millennial feed, it's like so perfect and filtered. Whereas Gen Z is like, I don't care. Like this is me. Mona, thank you very much for your time. That was brilliant. Uh, Where's the best place? I'm going to link up all your links and stuff, but is there anything you want to push listeners back to check out in particular? Um, Speaking of TikTok, that's where I'd say like the majority of my content is and it's, it's great on there. That's, that's where I'm doing the most stuff. Perfect. And I'll link it up in the show notes. Mona, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Cheers, Mona. Thank you very much. 
Roadman, thank you for listening to today's episode of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm asked all the time how listeners can support the podcast. Well, there's a number of ways you can support the podcast. As I mentioned at the outset, Patreon is an easy way to support it. But if you don't feel like subscribing on Patreon or you can't afford to subscribe on Patreon, a really easy way to support the podcast is simply sharing it with a friend. Take the episode link and sharing it into WhatsApp groups, into club Facebook groups, and just helping to spread the roadman word you can follow me and you can find me over on instagram our handle on instagram it's roadman.cycling or we have a new tiktok account where we're taking extracts from the podcast and posting them over there on roadman cycling podcast is the handle there really for all things roadman cycling the mission control is our main website which is newly launched and that's on roadmancycling.com you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. They make such a huge difference. Or if you're not on Apple, you can leave the review anywhere where you listen to the podcast. Roadmen, have a great day and ride safe.